Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode seven of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. Now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Nancy Alvarez. Nancy and I are gonna be discussing many things, including her experiences serving on the first PTCB Certification Council and her recent foray into coactive coaching. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Nancy and then let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Nancy Alvarez is Associate Dean for Academic and Professional Affairs at the University of Arizona College of Pharmacy, Phoenix campus, and previously was part of the founding leadership team at Chapman University School of Pharmacy. She's a champion for leadership. In fact, this past weekend had some great leadership experiences that maybe we'll hear more about, and she's an outstanding mentor. She's a former president of the American Pharmacists Association and served as Phi Lambda Sigma Leadership Society president. This spring, Nancy receives the APHA's Gloria Niemeyer Frankie Leadership Mentor Award. And Nancy also finds time to serve as a board member of the Pharmacy Leadership and Education Institute. I don't know how she does it, she's so busy. Well, I first connected with Nancy. She was a student pharmacist and member at large for APHA ASP. We've worked together over many years, shared many, many pharmacy adventures, and I'm grateful for our friendship and look forward to talking with her today on the Melissa Rx Scripps podcast. Hello, Nancy. Good morning, and thank you for being here with me today. Before we get into your career experiences, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and that super cute Charlie Monster. Hi, Melissa. So I would say that I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, on the west side of Phoenix, and that used to mean something. The valley's grown so much in the last 20 years, it's, it's really unbelievable. But I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and I am one of, of two. I have a younger sister, and then my, my parents, of course. Spent most of my time, you know, in Phoenix. Honestly, never thought I would leave Phoenix, uh, not even for school. I really had a very small circle and the reach was was very small i wouldn't say i lived in a bubble uh but uh, you know the radius that i traveled to was was very small we went on vacation to california uh, that was really the extent of of my worldliness and so that has all changed uh, quite a bit over the course of my life uh, but that's a little bit about me and then my my pet charlie monster uh, is so named because he is a monster. He's a terrier mix. Uh, he's the fourth pet I think I've had in you know in my in my adult life, and he you know currently fills my heart and fills my time and fills me with frustration from time to time when I I find a torn business card on the floor, you know, half eaten, and he's not secretive at all. He misbehaves and lets me know it. He doesn't care. <laughs> so he's, he's quite cute indeed. Well, I love hearing the stories about your fun pup. Also, I think it's neat that you shared 
where your world was when you began and that you know it's expanded and you've had these different experiences and we're going to talk about some of those today but i think that's helpful for people to just realize that sometimes where you start is not where you end up and that if you're open to it you know there can just be many adventures and things that you can learn along the way so you know as we get started and talking about your very interesting career and your leadership journey and some of your influences i remember a few years ago when you were APHA president and in your remarks, um, you highlighted some of your influencers, people that influenced you. And one of those was April Shaughnessy. And you and I both know April and have known her for many years. And her influence on APHA ASP leaders is really far and wide and new practitioners. So tell me a little bit more about April. Yes, April has been a big influence in my life. Uh, I can recall, you know, being a student and and not yet having aspiration for leadership at the national level and seeing her at the meetings and seeing how she took care of the the student leaders of our academy and watching her buzz around, watching her, you know, have her shoes slung over her her shoulder. <laughs> Uh, I always wondered about yes. that, like, why would you, you know, be walking around barefoot all the time? You know, she was just loved, loves her shoes, uh, whether they're comfortable or not. And, and I could recall thinking, gosh, that would be really amazing to have someone that would, you know, take care of me. And I, you know, can't really point to a whole lot of mentors in my, in my life, uh, other than perhaps my tennis coach in high school. And I always, you know, with my face pressed against the glass, I always found it fascinating that, you know, these five students were doted on essentially by this woman. And, and then as I got into the leadership, I really recognized how professional April would, would be and how she had high expectations of us and the way in which we behaved and the way in which we communicated. And she really helped to elevate the student leaders to a place where we were, where we felt like peer to whomever we met, be it the Assistant Surgeon General of the United States or the leaders of any organization that we visited. ASHP comes to mind. We visited and we felt peer, or at least I felt peer to pharmacy giants that we met. And it was really because of, of April. And I was actually afraid of her. You know, I didn't want to disappoint and I didn't want to step out of line. And I can see now that, you know, her passion for making sure that we were the best that we could be was what was driving what I perceived to be, you know, really holding a tight rein and not in a bad way, but to really say, hey, you know, you have an opportunity and you, you must not squander it. And I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that you are the best that you can be. And I found myself very distracted by the fact that I, I was fearful. And it probably wasn't until I graduated. And I can't remember what I volunteered for. Maybe it was one of the policy committees, but it was some work for which April was the liaison between the committee and the association. And she invited me to hang out like on a Saturday by the pool. Oh, that's and a good I was, one. I know. And I was, I was actually nervous. I thought, well, what on earth am I going to do? And what on earth are we going to talk about? Because I've always been so nervous. And what I found in that moment, in that instant, is that 
well, April was a real person and that she really wanted the best for me. And she valued me and she wanted to hang out with me. And that was very impactful. And I know uh, that along the way, a lot of the opportunities that came my way, while she never told me and no one actually ever confirmed, but I, I feel that April was the person that was behind the scenes floating my name or uh, suggesting to others that I might be a representative of community-based pharmacy practice to whatever endeavor they, they had a, a spot to fill. Uh, I really feel that that she did. And, and, you know, and she was very motherly. We affectionately call her Mother Pickles. I can never settle on exactly why we do, but we call her Mother Pickles. And, uh, and I think over the years, her, her kids, as we refer to ourselves, uh, you know, she, she gives us a pass. She used to scowl when we would call her Mother Pickles and now, you know, actually catch her, her grin, just a slight upturn of her lip though she would never admit it. And yes. she's going to be mortified. She's going to be mortified. We are having such a long discussion, but I, I you know, I, I felt in my presidential address, I, you know, was able to really let other people know, you know, how impactful she has been for me because she won't let that happen. She shuns the spotlight. She shuns pictures. And so I thought, well, this is my address and it's, you know, my 12 minutes and I'm going to apportion a few of them to her. You know, I think you touched on so many cool things that she wanted to take care of you all as leaders and shepherd you through. And I think she was able to recognize the importance of the first when, you know, a student representative was at the APHA board of trustees table. When you mentioned when you visited other organizations and that this care that she had for you all helped give you wings, you know, to be able to do it with that. And I would agree with you. I think there's this caring side, which I know she's going to be dying that we're even <laughs> doing this right now. Like, and I'm, I'm probably going to be in trouble, but I also would say, I think one of the coolest things is she continues to be an encourager for people down the road, both personally and professionally. My mom had surgery a few months ago and she sent my mom a card every day for, I think, six weeks. And I know she's done this for other people going through, you know, chemo or surgeries. She's done it for major birthdays. I know people have received, you know, 50 birthday cards, 60 birthday cards. So I, I'm glad that we're talking about her though, because I think having someone like April in your life to cheer you on, and especially when you're doing something new or hard, and also that doesn't always want the spotlight. But I think deep down, when once she hears it, she's going to be excited, um, even though even though I think she'll never admit it to you or to me. Oh, no, no, I don't think she, she will admit it, though I think she cannot. I mean, so one thing I know for sure is that she cannot downplay the impacts that she has. And I think that that's one of the, you know, one of the disadvantages, if you will, of being an association leader is that you are behind the scenes and you are giving air uh, to others so that they can fly. And it's often unsung. And it's a pleasure to be able to give credit for, you know, for the things that she has, has done. She definitely you know, has had an impact on me and others. And she is, continues to be uh, fearless in her defense of what she thinks is right and what she thinks is needed. She does not mince words. She will tell you, you know, what needs to happen or what could happen or why something isn't happening. 
Uh, and I, I think that's, that's positive. We need more of that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So I know she was super excited. This is a good segue into spring of 2020 that this spring, you know, you're receiving the Gloria Nehemiah Frankie Leadership Mentor Award that we talked about when I introduced you. So tell me a little bit about Gloria and her impact. And you have been such a, a wonderful example of mentoring future leaders. So why is that important? Well, I think mentorship in general is important or is important to me because I I guess I don't really recognize a whole lot of that for me. And that's not to say that, you know, that people have been uncaring or haven't been out there looking out for me. I mean, we just spoke about April. So it's it's not so much that it's, I guess I never really recognized it. And I think people didn't recognize that I had needs because I was so good at concealing it. And, and not as a, you know, I, I don't feel like I had imposter syndrome or anything like that. I think it was a lot, a lot of it had to do with the way I, I grew up. You know, I grew up in a Mexican heritage. I can remember my father telling me, you know, that it's not polite to ask for things when you go to visit family. If they offer to you, please accept if you want, but do not ask. And I think that messaging really, um, really set in much more deeply than I and he ever thought possible. And so I never expressed what I had, you know, the things for which I had need. And then people saw me as, you know, successful. And so no one really said, hey, let me help you out. Or have you thought about X, Y, Z? And so I think, you know, for me now, I, I try to be very aware and if I'm wondering, I, I don't just simply wonder, I actually try to ask if someone has need. And if they don't, well, then that's okay. That's good. At least I know for sure and I'm not making assumptions. And so I think mentorship in general is important for that reason. I think as far as Gloria Frankie, well, she definitely is a giant. I don't believe she was very tall in her, in her stature in terms of you know physical height, but she was a giant. And to think that, you know, the one time that I recall meeting her and shaking her hand, I, you know, I was very overwhelmed by the moment. And I, I probably grunted, hello, maybe, I can't recall. I remember uh, seeing her and it, it, I believe it was at an APHA meeting and perhaps it was after a banquet. I wanna say that Metalou Henderson in, introduced me, another, another pharmacy giant. But I remember being very, you know, shy and scared and, and I probably only said hello. So the fact that I'm going to receive an award in her name is, is impactful to me. And what I've learned or what I've come to appreciate is that, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't really been on the road alone. And while I haven't recognized mentorship in the definition of mentorship, I have been surrounded by people that I find inspiring and people who have supported me and really have allowed me to be who I am being and accept me in all of my glory and all of my flaws. And, and I really think that trying to, to care for others and trying to help them to be the best that they can be, that's what I see this award is recognizing is my efforts to do that not to create a bunch of mini-me's out there, but to really say, what is it that you're interested in? What is it that your heart wants to, 
to do and then go do that. And how can I help you to do that? Not tell you what you need to do, not criticize you for, you know, doing or not doing something, just simply allowing you to be who you're being and support you in that effort. Yeah, I think what you said, that's so powerful. I'm like sitting here reflecting on accept you and all your glory and all your flaws. I think that's something that we all kind of look for. And well, I talked with Kelly Jo Welter last week about her fearlessly authentic. And I think that's similar to that, that, you know, you bring your whole self to the table. And I think of the things that Gloria accomplished in her career, which were so significant. I mean, I, I, I consider myself a person that definitely stands on her shoulders. The ability to just keep moving forward is really important and really cool. Yeah, and I think in in not being able to ask for help and for, you know, really working to try to figure things out on my own, you know, I'm very observant. I listen very, very well, but I also see that while I do those things, you know, exceptionally, what I've traded is a bit of, of fearlessness. And I, I worked with a woman uh, at Chapman University, Sufan Wong. She is what I consider fearless. And she had an opportunity to share her story in front of the faculty as part of a getting to know you exercise that the dean put forward. And she talked about how she didn't know limits because her parents didn't put limits upon her. And she grew up with brothers. And I thought, gosh, how, how amazing is that, that you get shaped a certain way very early on. And it it really influences the trajectory of your life. And so I left that, that university and paid respect to her because in my mind, I thought, you know, I want to try to be a little more fearless, a little less afraid, and really do what I can to stand in my own shoes, happy with who I am, and knowing that if I want to make adjustments, then I'm empowered to do that. And that's been very impactful. So when Kelly Joe's theme came around, I thought, yes, that's me at 52. Hopefully I'm only in the fall of my life and I have, you know, two seasons to really see where that's going to take me now that my perspective has shifted a little. So it's interesting that you would describe yourself maybe earlier in your career as not being fearless, but one of the things that I wanted to make sure we highlighted when we talked today, and you and I have talked about this in the past, I think you've always been a person, though, who's interested in innovation and doing the right things and getting involved. And, you know, a story that I've shared with others is when we were founding the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board, and we needed subject matter experts to help us on the Certification Council put the exam together, you were one of the first people I called. And I remember calling you and saying, okay, we're doing this new thing. And this is how we think it's going to work. But at that time, of course, if you, as you remember, there were so many things that were unknown. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your interest in pharmacy technicians, and then maybe you can share some PTCB memories over the years. Well, I can recall getting the call. I was at work. I worked for Walgreens and and it wasn't a particularly busy time. It was, you know, the middle of the day. And I, I remember getting the call and I remember thinking, you want me to do what? And why me? And oh my gosh, like, why would this have come about? And 
Yes, because I worked in a in a pharmacy that that had inconsistent support and I could see the value of helping technical personnel enhance their ability to help me. And I thought, well, I have no idea what it means or what it's about, but I know that there's need. I believe that there's need. I live it every day. And so let me see what I can do. And I, I remember meeting and I remember the very first meetings. I believe we met in Florida. And I remember uh, going and entering a, a room full of people that I didn't know except for you. I didn't know the other pharmacists and pharmacy technicians around the table. And I remember thinking, well, this is amazing because you're asking me my opinion about the size of the certificate and the color green that we were going to use. And then the, the psychometric experts were beginning to tell us about concepts I had never heard. And I remember having a little bit of fear and thinking, okay, I don't, I don't know anything about psychometrics and I don't know anything about all the, you know, the coefficients and how to evaluate whether a question is a good question or not. I remembered all the questions that, you know, my professors had written and thought, oh, these are really difficult. What are they measuring? And so I learned how to write a good test question an excellent test question and I knew how to, I learned how to evaluate test questions. And what I really loved about that early experience is the other pharmacists around the table who had been entrenched in technician issues far longer than me demonstrated to me a passion and an unwavering desire to elevate the status of technicians. And they showed me what what passion could do if harnessed in, in such a way that, you know, now 20 plus years later, this organization is, you know, beginning to think about segmenting into different technician categories. And that's amazing to me thinking, you know, we were picking the color of a certificate and size of that certificate. And now there are thousands and thousands and thousands of technicians and it's really almost what is next. It's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly prideful. And I would say that, you know, some of the things that I remember most are the meetings, you know, the, the hard work of putting together an exam that is sound from a legal perspective and a psychometric perspective is tremendous. And I remember the people that I worked with and the friendships that I, I continue to enjoy as a result of coming around the table. You know, I can remember, you know, we would be writing questions and it would be very quiet and I would decide that I didn't like a question and I would take my pen from the left bottom up to the right and I would, you know, just strike it out and I didn't realize how loud it sounded, you know, when people would say, oh, you must not like that question, because they would actually hear my pen just, you know, create that sound as you whisked across from corner to corner. So we would laugh about that. And, you know, we would laugh that we had a, a, a psychometrician who, you know, she would encourage us to think about whether we really, really thought that the question was doing its job, and that is to help to decide who was the minimally, a minimally competent technician. And she would say to us when she sensed that there was some hesitation, come on, do you love it? 
do you love it? Do you love it? Because if you don't love it, then you need to get rid of it. And she would say that. And, you, you know, it? to this yeah. day, I think about her when I'm writing out her Christmas card. And I think, gosh, Karen would say, do you love it? And, you know, and when I think about that, it really makes me smile. And then the other funny thing I would, I would say, and I hope that uh, Ben Gruda is a listener of your show, because, you know, there was a time where we needed to get together for one of our, I guess it was a regularly scheduled meeting, but it was hurricane season. Yeah, it was on certification council was getting together and we were meeting in Florida and it was, you know, hurricane season and there was a threat of a, of a terrible hurricane and, you know, and there was question as to whether we were going to meet or not. And we, we did, there was a small group of people that, that did travel. I don't believe that we all traveled and we traveled and we were in a hotel and, you know, we were working away and uh, one of the other pharmacists on the council, Ben Gruda, you know, pulls out his backpack that had every item you could possibly imagine in a regularly sized backpack. And so we, we give him, gave him grief about, you know, all the useful and curious tools he would pull from that backpack because he was prepared. I don't know that he was a Boy Scout, but he was definitely prepared for that hurricane and had everything he needed and likely everything we needed in that backpack. And so I think about that and it makes me makes me chuckle as well. You know, it's so funny you would talk about that because I remember as the hurricane predictions, you know, the storm patterns were coming through. It was like, should we cancel? And I reached out to all of you and said, you know, would you like the meeting to be on? And pretty much to the letter, everyone said, we have work to do, let's go. And, you know, we got down there and in Florida, they're very prepared for hurricanes. And so the hurricane shutters went up. But yes, I do remember when Ben pulled out the backpack and we were like, what else is in there? There was a flashlight, there was batteries. And um, so that was really cool. You know, and you highlighted something that we did that I think was unique and our listeners would enjoy is that it was multiple organizations coming together. PTCB at the beginning had four organizations and then ended up with five. And so the volunteers, the subject matter experts, as you described, didn't necessarily know each other. And you know now there's so much more talk about diversity and pulling different groups together and people with different backgrounds and the innovation and richness that you get. But if you think about it, we were really blazing a trail when we did that. But I'm so happy because I think we brought people together that maybe wouldn't have worked on a committee together and you know, the ideas that were shared. And I agree with you, the friendships that we have, I think that's a real, another plus of, you know, you can, you can help the profession, whatever profession you're in, and, you know, in healthcare, it being a, a caring profession, you can be on a leadership journey, but the friendship and the adventures that you share over the years are just really fun. And you just reminded me of a couple of things that we did that I still you know, do you love it? And this is like your, the gold bricks, the fine China. We don't want to lose these items. So yes. Karen had some um, real pearls. So to shift gears a little bit, when you and I were talking about putting the podcast together, you shared with me that, you know, you were on this lifelong learning journey path in your career. And I know that you've recently completed a milestone related to coactive coaching training. And can you tell me a little bit more about that? And then how does that relate? I know over your career, you've done several things in leadership, whether it be with Phi Lambda Sigma or Phi Delta Chi or the Pharmacy Leadership and Education Institute. So how do these kind of all relate and what do they look like? 
Well, let me start with the with the others because they they really have culminated. And so, when I got out of school and I had finished being uh, an APHA ASP national officer, I, you know, was really looking for you know, well, well, what will I do now that I'm in the practice world? And you know, and at the time, state associations hadn't yet begun to have roles for people who were fresh out of school like that was unheard of right and i remember thinking and i remember people telling me oh well don't you need to settle into your career and don't you need to you know go away for a while and figure out your family life and then come back because that was typical the typical pattern and so it was it was really really difficult to get involved and then I, I began to be involved with APHA uh, through its practice academy and wasn't successful for, I think, my first election. And that was, that was a little difficult for me, uh, not the end of the world, but difficult. And, and then I decided that I really didn't like the politics. Like, I really didn't enjoy the politics. And as I reflect now, I don't even know that it was the politics. I think it was more my personality and the fact that I lean introvert and didn't fully accept that or appreciate it then. And so I decided to take a break. And I remember sitting on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial with two other APHA, APPM members, officers. And they said to me, you know, Nancy, if you don't come up through the APHA academy, then you're never going to sit at the board table. And I know that they were well-intentioned and I know that they, they made that statement to me uh, as a means to encourage me to continue to participate in the academy. And I also remember my rebellious streak coming out and I simply said with shrugged shoulders that, well, then I guess I'm not going to sit at the APHA board table, because to me, that wasn't a good, a, a sufficient reason. And so then I began to think about other, other areas to participate. And so I participated in Phi Lambda Sigma, and I served as its president. And I was, you know, becoming more involved in my professional fraternity and served as its, one of its national officers and didn't get reelected for a variety of reasons, but I wasn't reelected. And that probably was the most devastating setback for me. And I mean, I don't think I've cried more over not being successful. I mean, when I wasn't successful for, for APHA president the first time, I did not cry as much, but this was, was very difficult. And, and what someone said to me was, well, you know, there's, there's a role in the Pharmacy Leadership and Education Institute and we need a director of its leader development seminar for the next year. And we're talking 2002. And all I heard was, well, Nancy, we'd like to offer you a consolation prize because you were an unsuccessful candidate. Uh. And, you know, and through my tears, I, you know, shook my head. Yes, because, you know, that's the way I did things. You know, you need me to help you and I will do it. And. I have to say that that was a transformative opportunity for me because it began to lead me down a path of developing myself as a leader because you can't teach someone else without some of the principles seeping in. 
And over the course of many years, as our curricula evolved, and I got exposed to new material and new information and working on a team of three, uh, my, my two colleagues continually learn and digest information and then provide it for me to think about that that was transformative for me in helping me to shift my thinking from, you know, what is it that you need me to do to what is it that I want to do? And how does that really fit with what I value and what I'm interested in and where my strengths lie and what needs I have? And I, I never thought about things in that way. And so getting into coaching is a result of the Pharmacy Leadership and Education Institute work in that we have a track that we provide for the California Pharmacist Association, and it's on coaching. And I had wanted to participate as a participant in that segment of our offering, and I hadn't yet had an opportunity because I was busy doing a different track leading a different track. And over the summer, it came to, to be that, hey, we don't need you for the first track. And I thought, well, great, I'm going to sit in and I'm going to learn in our coaching track. Well, little did I know that I was going to be thrown in as a co-lead, a co-facilitator. <laughs> and so, you know, thank you to my colleague who thinks enough of me to want me to be part immediately and I recognized, oh my gosh, I probably know enough through osmosis to be able to, to get through and I probably need to learn more. But I'm not that assertive, you know, to go out. I don't like to look for things. I don't like to dig. I don't like the details of, you know, oh, if you tell me there's a meeting, provide me the information and I'll sign up. But I don't like to go look for the information. So I overheard this colleague and another woman say, well, if you want to learn more about coaching, this is the course that I took. So my ears perked up and I said, hey, are you going to do it? And she said, yes. And here are the details. And I thought, that's a score for me. I don't need to go look. What are we going to do? When do we need to do it? And before you know it, before the weekend was over, we were plotting out how we were going to take this uh, coactive coaching course from the Coactive Training Institute. And what I have found in uh, learning coaching techniques is that, well, gosh, I've been doing this all along. That's been my definition of mentoring, you know, helping people to discover for themselves, not telling them what to do. And what I learned is, gosh, I have a lot of work to do for myself. Like I didn't have a mission statement or a, or a life purpose. And when they asked you to develop one, you know, that was very anxiety provoking for me because I'd never done that before. And so I really have appreciated uh, the opportunity to learn how to work with people, how to help them to focus on their values, how to help them uh, process through emotion or emotional events in their lives, and how to help them to think about well, what is it that they want and how is it that they are going to get there? But they're not going to get there alone. And that's what I really appreciate about the coactive um, mindset is that there's the co-part, the doing it with someone else, being supportive 
and being supported by someone else and the active part. So what are we going to do to take a step forward? How are we going to go from who you are being today to who you want to be in the future? And not deferring, not saying, well, I can't be a leader until I take all these classes. No, today I'm a leader. And so if I'm a leader and I think of myself as a leader, what can I begin to do? How would, it be, how would a, a leader behave? And then begin to behave in that way. And then, well, what would a leader do and what would a leader need? Okay, let me go out and engage in those activities so that then I can have leadership as part of my life rather than what we typically do. And we say, well, I can't really do anything until I get a particular credential or I do a certain thing. Now, I've only been through five courses and they've been intense. It's uh, 104 hours of training, but I don't say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm training to be a coach. No, I am a coach. Am I a great coach? Not yet, but I am a coach today. And for me, that's completely different thinking. It really is very empowering. It's very exciting. Uh, and the group of people that I worked with, they I mean, my, my, myself and my friend were the only pharmacists in the group. They came from all other walks of, of life. And it was very exciting to be with them, to be a part of them, and for them to accept me for who I am. Although I think at the beginning it was a little difficult because, you know, they would see me sitting off to the side, you know, and not really engaging in the group on breaks, not recognizing that I was taking care of myself as an introvert. And, you know, or they would say, well, you know, you seem a little formal or you seem a little rigid, you know, and I would think, well, okay, uh, maybe, and maybe that's what I'm putting out there, but I'm okay being formal and I'm okay being rigid. And by the end, I really do think that they accepted me for me and that they saw other sides of me without me having to be any different than who I am being. And, and that's really what I loved about uh, the coactive coaching. And that's what I think I'm going to be able to do for the students that I mentor, the students that are assigned to me. I already see it uh, working in that, you know, they come in to have their portfolio reviewed or their CV reviewed. And we go through that formality. And then I allow my curiosity to take hold and I ask them questions that came up for me as I read through their materials. I'm genuinely interested in what they have to say. And I had a few of them say to me, well, this isn't at all what I thought it would be. And I would say, well, what did you think? And they said, well, I thought you were going to tell me everything I did wrong in my CV and how I needed to write my reflections differently. And I thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. And I am a coach because all I did was ask questions, probed a little deeper, asked them to tell me why a certain topic was important or how they felt their values were being stepped on and how that felt. I mean, just I, I, I really was trying to be human. And in fact, one lady uh, described being uh, going through coaching as being in human school. She would say that, I'm happy to be here at human school this weekend. 
And I thought, wow, yes. Yeah. You know, when there were so many things, gems that you just shared as you talked about it, and I can hear the excitement and passion, you know, in your voice. And I'm really thrilled that you shared that with us. I think when you said today, I'm a leader, that's so big because we all can start from where we are today. And I also appreciate that you shared that reflection when you were sitting on the steps with the other APHA, APPM leaders. Because I think what's tricky sometimes is that we might think, well, that path's not for me. And so if I don't follow that path, can I be on the path or what will it look like? And, you know, what you shared is that you kind of knew in your heart that you might be on a different path and that was going to be okay. And, you know, there's data out there right now that um, when you look at leadership and succession planning and stuff that Gen Z and millennials, they don't want to be on a 10-year path to become an officer in an organization. You know, they might want to do micro-volunteering. It might look different. And then I think the other thing that you shared that's so helpful is setbacks and that, you know, we're going to have setbacks and you might not get elected the first time or you might not, you know, get a yes on something. But sometimes the no's can be the beautiful no. And that I'm quoting Sherry Salata's book. I'm a big fan of hers. But you know, she talked about sometimes when you get a no, it opens up for yeses that are just like so much better for you and your life. And you might not see it right now. So I really appreciate all those insights that you shared. And I definitely will echo that you are a coach. And I think you've been coaching and just by living your life and your, you know, vulnerability is so, so important. So, you know, we're winding down now. And um, while I have you, you think, is there one prescription or a life lesson that you'd like to share or comment on to our listeners in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? Well, I would say to those listening that, you know, it's important to accept yourself. And that may sound very simple and, and it's not. And I think that I spent many, 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 many years not accepting myself for who I am. And I think that I find myself wondering how much, how much greater could I, could I be if I simply said, I am who I am, it is how it is, and if it needs to be different tomorrow, well, let's make it different tomorrow. And, and that's not to say that it's easy, because it's not. And that's not to say, to say that, you know, that we shouldn't have times where, you know, there's uncertainty, I think it, it's really working on self-acceptance. Maybe it's even called self-compassion. In fact, I read an article that was in a, ACP's journal, and it was, and I wish I remembered the title, but it was a commentary about self-compassion and how that was necessary. And and I think for people out there, we don't we, we're compassionate for others, but we're not compassionate for ourselves. And that would be the one life lesson that, that I would share is do all that you can to cultivate self-compassion. You know, there's always the time to improve, yes, uh, but allow yourself to feel disappointment or grief that something didn't go your way. And then say, you know, what did I do? What did I contribute? What was my part in, in what happened? And then move forward. Uh, and all of that, as I say, it sounds so simple, you know, and I know that it, that it's not, I know that it's not so self-compassion. Well, thank you for sharing. Even if it's simple, I think it's the 
doing it and you know pausing when we're in the midst of something and we want to be hard on ourselves or think you know i should have or i could have or what could that look like so i think that's a really good reminder of being present and staying in the moment and having some compassion um, for yourself and, and kind of what's going on. Well, Nance, I really appreciate our time together and I'm just thrilled that we were able to have this conversation. And this is the Melissa RX Scripts podcast. And to everyone listening, please subscribe to the show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan on social media. I also this morning want to thank Kate Cruz, our producer with Executive Podcast Solutions. And thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thanks, Melissa.